Welcome action fans, and thanks for joining us for another edition of All 90s Action All The Time. As we kick off our brand new season, looking at the 90s films of Kurt Russell. I'm one of your hosts, Scott Murphy, and just to clear up any confusion, we will not be looking at all of Russell's 90s films, just the action ones. So we shall not be covering Unlawful Entry, Captain Ron, or his uncredited cameo in Forrest Gump, but we shall be covering everything else, starting with 1991's Backdraft. Now, this is the point I usually introduce one of my regular co-hosts, Kyle or Craig, or both of them. However, they are both currently on top secret assignments, so couldn't make it. I did call in a go director, Adam Stovall, who you might remember from the Cotland episode we did last season, but unfortunately, some last-minute ghostbusting scuppered that as well. No worries, though, as swooping in like Batman to save the show, we have YouTuber and friend of the show, Caleb Knutson. Hi, Caleb. Well, I am not a director, and I'm not anyone famous, but... Uh... I did look at the fire, and the fire looked back at me, so I'm ready to do this. <laughs> well, that's that's good enough. Good enough for me. Good enough for this show, for sure. And you did so well in the, the Demolition Man episode. We we had to have you back. And that was, it was a blast. So I'm I'm excited to talk more, more 90s action films. I'm, I'm disappointed that we're not covering Forrest Gump for just that that little uncredited cameo of kurt russell's but we'll start with backdraft here <laughs> yeah it's just a two second episode like he was, oh, he was elvis right he was elvis <laughs> yes <laughs> exactly so as always a little bit of background before we get into this one uh backdraft was released in u.s cinemas on may 24th 1991 so is therefore celebrating its 30th anniversary this year it was directed by Ron Howard, whose notable credits include the likes of Apollo 13, Cocoon, Splash, Willow, a bunch of other stuff. And uh, it was written by Gregory Whidden, whose notable credits include uh, writing the initial script for Highlander, uh, writing and directing the Christopher Walken horror movie Prophecy, and he also wrote the 2019 sequel to this film, Backdraft 2 which you probably don't know about. But yes, Backdraft 2, it exists. Review-wise, Backdraft is currently sitting at a 6.7 on IMDb. Uh, It is sitting at a 74% on Rotten Tomatoes, based on 47 reviews, uh, 38 on Metacritic, based on 12 reviews, and a 3.1 on Letterboxd. It also made $152.4 million off a $40 million budget, making it the 11th biggest film of 1991. Can you guess uh, what film beat it into the top 10? I will... Boy, I'm going to guess Silence of the Lambs? It it was not Silence of the Lambs. Silence of the Lambs was bigger than that. No, it was uh, Sleeping... It was... uh, it was sleeping with the enemy as uh, what what be it to the number ten spot. Uh, also, it it was um, backdraft was just ahead of the number twelve spot that was city slickers. So in between sleeping with the enemy and city slickers. Okay. All right. The, 
this is also um well it's definitely the only film we've covered so far that was also a theme park attraction uh so um it it might not be the only movie we cover that it's also as a theme park attraction but so far this is the only one. It was uh, an attraction between uh, 1992 and 2010 at Universal Studios Hollywood, um, but still exists at Universal Studios Japan in Osaka. So you can, if you're ever in Osaka, you can go to the backdraft theme park attraction. Like, I think it's just, you go into a building, it's like a burning building. I'm not, I'm not uh, sure. I know, like, um, but, um, I think you, I think you, it starts off on the boat where you get drunk and then you drive to work where you put on the fire suit and then you go fight fires. Yes. I think that's where it starts I'm off. pretty sure. I'm pretty sure if we went to <laughs> Universal Studios Japan in Osaka, that is exactly uh, what we would find. Yeah. So all joking aside about your swooping in like Batman, you actually requested uh, to be on this episode, Caleb. So uh, tell us about your relationship with the movie backdraft yeah before we recorded you were talking about how you were surprised that someone was like wanted to talk about backdraft uh, i grew up with this movie this was one of the uh, vhs's that we had growing up as as a kid and this actually belonged to my younger brother who uh, growing up when we shared a room when we shared bunk beds this was always on because we had to we had to keep him entertained and keep him happy mm. uh, which was you know strange because he was like seven at the time and this film is rated r but he always wanted to be a firefighter he always wanted to be a fireman uh, but he couldn't for whatever reason couldn't say fire truck he would always say fire fruck it was one of the best things that came from him um but yeah so i watched this almost repeatedly for a couple of years in the late in the late 90s as we were moving around and i was sharing a room with my brother so going back and watching this guys i hadn't i haven't watched it ever since then so it's been like a good 20 years since i've seen this film but popping it in for this retrospective everything came right back to me i'm like yep i remember every cadence of the lines that are being said here, the way the people are looking at the screen, the way Kurt Russell's cheeks shake whenever he's intense and pushed up against the wall. I remember everything. Yeah. I was surprised by how much I remember like just listening to your story as well. I, I'm just reminiscing about like, I also have a little brother and who I also shared a, a room with. Um, so there is certain movies that he watched all the time that are etched in my mind, like particularly uh, Toy Story and The Lion King were big ones with uh, with my little brother. Uh, so, uh, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Anything to keep the younger brother happy. Yeah. Um, for you, it was Disney. For me, it was rated R Ron Howard films. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, like there was, uh, there was other ones as well. There was, there was rate. I mean, obviously the rating system is different here, but there is, there, there was kind of rated R ones that we watched together as well, because, because I was an irresponsible older brother. Um, the, we watched a lot of Arnold Schwarzenegger movies together. So like ah. Terminator Two and Total Recall and The Running Man were in regular rotation. Nice. And uh, yeah, that Terminator 2 was the big uh, the, the big winner over this movie at the Oscars, I believe. 
Yes, for uh, yeah, yeah, for vi visual effects and um, like uh, uh, yeah, the sound, sound and sound, sound editing. And, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because I, I was thinking, yeah, like it was, and um, yeah, because the visual effects in this movie are great. Uh, but like, yeah, I suppose uh, Terminator Two. It's I mean, it did have a bigger budget, like a much bigger budget. <laughs> Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Now, when you watch this, uh, for this review, did, I, I had a Blu-ray that had a little like three minute introduction from Ron Howard. And he was talking about, um, the visual effects supervisor, Alan Hall, how they were dealing with the you know, real life fires because they tried doing digital. This was a couple of years before Jurassic park really knocked it out of the park. Yeah. no pun intended um but yeah alan hall was doing all of like the live fire so how did you how did you view this did you have that or did you look that up or uh that introduction yeah uh no i, I didn't see that introduction i like i rented it um so i, I oh, okay. rented the uh, stream uh well um no, that's actually not true. Uh, it's, it's available uh, currently on on Netflix UK. So I just so I didn't rent it. I just watched it on Netflix. Well, I, I know that that back uh, backdraft two is available on Netflix here in the states. I did not though <laughs> take the <laughs> take the journey and watch that. I did read the plot synopsis, and I'm I'm glad I did not waste my time. <laughs> I also read the plot synopsis, and oh, I man. also also um watched the trailer um but and i probably would have watched it to be fair like because like uh you know i get so obsessive about these things i probably would have watched that as part of the research but like um no i i ended up not because the only way you could watch it is if you you couldn't even rent it you had to buy it and i Ugh. was like i was like i am not spending six pounds <laughs> nope <laughs> not a single cent is going towards that sequel i'll use it for the original but the direct to dvd sequel mm -mm. no 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 made 28 years after the original it's kind of william baldwin looks way more like alec baldwin now yeah in that trailer yeah for for sure he does it is kind of weird though because uh, much like you it's been about 20 years since i last saw this movie I saw it a few times uh, as a kid and um, in my teens, and um, but it, it was surprising to me how much I remembered of it, like Kurt Russell in the boat, like some of the, the main um, explosions, and um, yeah, just just different things like the like the Donald Sutherland character, like yeah, there was a, there was a lot of scenes that I was like, oh yeah, that seems that seems familiar, yeah yeah, huh. Oh, weird. <laughs> I, I feel like everyone who's ever watched this movie has that same reaction because it's not a it's not an action movie that's like a tent pole of any one of these actors or even Ron Howard's or heck even Hans Zimmer who did the music. It's not like a tent pole film of theirs that people go like, oh, you remember when they were in that film or they worked on that film, but it's also one of those like when you see it on or if you see it pop up you go oh yeah i kind of remember that one i enjoyed that yeah for sure i i definitely feel the same way yeah it's a very kind of middle of the road film for for kind of everybody in, involved it's yeah. not like you say it's not kind of seen as kind of top tier ron howard necessarily 
it's not obviously when when you think Kurt Russell, you often think of like the Carpenter collaborations, like so Escape from New York, The Thing, Big Trouble in Little China, you know, th things like that. There is just certain things that spring more to mind, and other things we're going to cover in in this season, um, like like Tombstone, which we will cover next week. Uh, you know, like yeah, but um, but it's a decent, it's a yeah, it's a decent, solidly made film. And, and to be fair, it feels like a very, it's a very Ron Hardy film because, like, if there has ever been a middle of the road director, it is Ron Howard. And I do not mean that disrespectfully because I worked out today, I have seen in total 17 Ron Howard films. And why I might not necessarily love any of those films, I certainly like a bunch of them. Yeah, it's he's one of those like solid directors where if a studio hires him on, it's almost guaranteed that, yeah, it's going to be a good film. It's not going to be a train wreck and there's not going to be any like weird scandals or weird stories coming from sets. Everyone's going to be happy and get along with each other. It's going to be at least pretty good. Um, and yeah, he's one of those directors, you look at his filmography and you go, oh, wow, I have actually seen a ton of his stuff. Cinderella Man, Apollo 13, that happened a couple of years after this. Um, you mentioned before we started recording, A Beautiful Mind, uh, even going all the way up to a couple of years ago with him, him being called in by Disney uh, and Kathleen Kennedy to direct, uh, to direct Solo, Ooh. A Star Wars Story. Yeah because that one was in shambles and in trouble. And they were like, we just need a solid kind of just medium director to get this thing done. And that's Ron Howard. Yeah, for sure. And yeah, that, it, Soul is like in a kind of another example of that, of like um, Soul, a Star Wars story. It ain't a train wreck. It's not particularly memorable, but when you watch it, you enjoy it and then when you yep. stop watching it you kind of forget what happens <laughs> yeah <laughs> or you kind of forget about it and you just move on and you're like that was a good time but you know what's for dinner yeah, <laughs> yeah. and i do have to say as a kid you know i liked um i liked kind of fantasy films and stuff like that so i do have like a soft spot for the likes of willow um, which gets a lot, right. catches Willow, a lot yep. of shit from people. <laughs> Who gives that film shit? No one. Okay. Willow okay. is great. Yeah, yeah. I, I really like Willow. And also, like, I like Tom Hanks comedies from the 80s, so I was also a big fan of Splash as a kid. <laughs> you know, I have not... It's one of the few Tom Hanks I have not seen, unfortunately. I hear everyone enjoy what I gotten around to watching unfortunately yeah i mean like tom everybody thinks of tom hacks the respectable oscar winning actor but like I, I really like that that period in his career when he did like uh, splash and big and dragnet and turner and hooch and all these kind of movies yep yeah, golden the, stuff the man with the red shoe or whatever <laughs> um but we should probably start talking about the plot of this film um, okay before we go off on any more tangents sure <laughs> <laughs> so how does this movie open 
Well, the movie opens and we have a short little brotherly skirmish uh, between the two um, uh, McAfee brothers and their their children. They're hanging out in a firehouse and, you know, they're they're arguing, they're playing, they're fighting with each other. And then all of a sudden their dad, who is the I don't know if he's the fire chief or he's, he's the leader of the firehouse and they're getting called in for a fire and. Uh, a dad McAfee invites uh, Brian, uh, who is the younger one, who will later be played by William Baldwin, uh, to come and see him get a special award for, uh, I guess, going or putting out the a record number of fires or something, whatever. He comes along. Yeah. Uh, and they go into the, so they get to the fire, they go into the building, and Daddy McAfee is, is saving uh, all these people out the window, and he's like a rock star. But then all of a sudden, the monster of this movie peeks out over, over the roof, and the fire breaks through. And this little, adorable little kid who, if you've ever seen any of those claymation Christmas cartoons, Around Christmas time, this kid is the live action version of that. He's missing teeth. He's got the rosy cheeks and the goofy little smile and the bowl, bowl, uh, the bowl cut. He's great. Um, but there's a massive explosion. The building goes up and Daddy McAfee is killed. And then uh, the McAfee brothers are their orphaned. The fire got to, the fire ate. Uh, ate their dad it got to their dad and then it, it's it becomes kind of like a revenge kind of monster movie after that or at least partly a revenge monster movie after that and we shoot forward uh, many many years into the future where both the McAfee brothers are adults and yeah uh, I just wanted to quickly oh, yeah. interject so like yeah as you said it is part revenge monster movie it is also part firefighter action movie it is also part sibling rivalry family melodrama it is also part political conspiracy thriller and it is also part <laughs> kind of mystery procedural yeah this yeah this film goes in many different directions and at points where the scenes uh, transition from one to the other, you go, what movie am I watching? Because it was one thing at one point, and now we're doing political espionage. <laughs> what? <laughs> what is going on here? We will talk about the many things we do like about this movie that are generally all centered around the performances, the effects, mm -hmm. and the stunt work. But the oh, screenplay yeah. for this movie is... <laughs> nuts <laughs> it's pretty freaking crazy i don't I, I wish i knew what they were trying what they were going for it was like the at one point they're trying to make that you know the first big action movie of the 90s or something but then the other part is like i we're trying to be oscar baby here i, I don't know <laughs> where the melding happened i don't know yeah, but, um, uh, Daddy McAfee, I never realized growing up was that uh, Captain Mc, uh, uh, McAfee. I don't forget what I've been calling him this entire time. I think but he's, he's actually think played he's by Chief, Kurt Russell. I think he's Chief McAfee. I Chief he's... McAfee? I don't know. Yeah, the, the, yeah the, the leader of McAfee who, who dies here in the first five minutes, um, he's played by Kurt Russell, who plays. 
Stephen McAfee uh, later on in the film, uh, one of the brothers, which I never knew that growing up. Yeah. It was, so I saw it, it on screen, I'm like, also, what? This movie is also part secret time travel movie where Kurt Russell's his own dad. Whoa. This blew <laughs> my mind. They were trying, they were trying to compete with Terminator 2 that year. Yeah. So like, let's send, <laughs> let's send Daddy McAfee to the past to have, so that he can conceive himself in the past so that he can live in the future i get it it's very clever this movie it's very it's very layered i also like this opening scene because i realized when watching this opening scene and we see brian see his dad die and it's like he's watching um, like him, him like save people and stuff. And it's like this this uh, heroic music playing and, and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And I was like watching it being like, oh, yeah, you could totally watch this movie with your eyes closed and still know the beats in it. Because like the score is so heavy handed that you're, it, it tells you precisely what emotions you are supposed to be feeling at any given moment. Yeah, there's it's bright brass all here triumphant it sounds it sounds patriotic it sounds uh you know very very heroic but then when that fire breaks through the the roof and you just see a little glimpse of it all of a sudden you hear the strings come in it goes brian's the only one there who sees it and she has this look on his face of like guys dad dad look out yeah (laughs) <laughs> not to laugh over a kid losing his father, but no, 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 no. It's it's done in a particularly court. This we're we're laughing at the corny way it's framed, not so much the. I do love. I don't know if you caught the the hippie dude or the hippie owner of the building. Yes, but as the, the firefighters running through, he's like, "Guys, you gotta get to the second floor. The whole world's up there. My stuff is up there, <laughs> guys." Like, I don't know why, but like, um, yeah, I, 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 I did notice that as well. And it is such a small nothing part that they literally could have got anybody. But that part is played by David Crosby of Crosby, Stills and Nash fame. No shit. <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't even bother to look that up. <laughs> it was just a random guy. Well, no shit, you say. Yeah. Wow. I Ron Howard maybe knows him. I don't know. It's just it's the most random <laughs> just thing. Stumbled it's like, on set one day, I guess. For this one random part that has that just basically needs to walk on and walk off. Ah, uh, let's call David Crosby. <laughs> what? <laughs> Why not? It's actually probably David David Crosby, and that was actually his apartment. <laughs> the whole world's up there, guys. <laughs> He didn't know a film was being made. He's like, what the fuck is going on? It was an actual fire. (laughs) And Ron Howard's like, oh, they're actually doing it? Let's just go shoot. (laughs) Ah, dear. Yeah, but this, uh, yeah, so the opening here, this is our first glimpse into that monster, that monster aspect of uh, how Ron Howard is portraying fire uh, to what I think so well in this film. This fire is like Jaws. Or he's yeah. like just that the the alien creature, the xenomorph creature, kind of lurking around the corners and kind of uh, sneaking out underneath the door frame before finally exploding and sinking in the kill. This is our first little glimpse of that, and I love how they portray the fire in this film. 
it's real i mean it makes no goddamn sense but it's real fun Mm-mm. oh yeah makes no sense but uh then we move on we cut to 20 years later landing in the year 1991 where kurt russell has already become his own father he's already already become his own self uh but but brian mcafee little little brian who saw his dad uh die in the in the fire and got his picture taken uh by life magazine uh he's now he's now grown and he has graduated from the fire academy he is an official uh well i guess probationary firefighter brian mcafee which i guess it's not it's not his first time doing it I don't know if he graduated the first time or... I'm not sure. Like, it, it, it's not made clear whether he flunked out or he just didn't complete the course or he did, he made it, but then he quit or... It, it, it's not... Yeah, it's never made clear. Um, yeah, they, they make the point, though, that, you know, Brian, he's kind of just that that wandering, that wandering family member. The fire firefighting's been in this family for a generation but brian for whatever reason feels like he could never do it properly or that he never just gets the heroic recognition um so he either quit or he flunked out the first time and then went to go do a bunch of just crappy random jobs after that but now he's he's back and he's actually graduated and he's looking for a nice a nice easy fire a fire station to be a part of yeah um there, there was something that kind of confused me about this scene, this like bar scene, uh, his graduation scene of like, so he bumps into um, the character Jennifer, played by Jennifer Jason Lee, and uh, they have like a little conversation where Brian kind of comes across as a douchebag, and she says that he's been gone for six years, right? So like at that point, you kind of assume that like he has been outside of Chicago for six years, which is fine. But like two seconds earlier, he had a conversation with a barman who's like busting his balls about all the jobs he flamed out in and like looking through all of his business cards that for some reason he has on the board at the back of the bar. And it's like, so did he... Has he been away? Did he send him those business cards over the years? Like, what is the relationship with the bar? Did he keep coming back to that one bar and not visit any of his former friends or relatives in Chicago? But, like, just was like, this is a new thing that I'm up to, you know? Like, but, you know, I've had my drink now, I'm, I'm off again. no it's 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 a good question i'd never i'd never even realized that of all the times i've watched this movie (laughs) Uh, maybe the best thing i'm coming up with is maybe you know because he was like a like a salesman and uh, like an insurance salesman a car salesman maybe he was in chicago for a conference and then just came by the the bar and because he knew the bar i don't know That Byron's got like four different business cards from him of like, oh, yes. this time you were selling cassettes and this time. Oh, you that's were right. Selling- the cassettes. T- yes. <laughs> um, I, I don't know. Yeah. You, you, you think that when she'd say hey, you've been gone for six years that he would go off and uh, like train to be a ninja or get like a superpower and then come back. But yeah, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Or, then- or maybe he's just really good at avoiding Jennifer. Yeah, maybe. But then, like everybody else, reacts like he's been away from time for for six years. Um, All right. Like when I I don't know. 
It's, it's, right. It's, well, because after after he meets Jennifer and they have their little uh, their little awkward conversation, like, oh, yeah, I'm working at City Hall now and uh, all that fun stuff. They go to a fire, uh, a, a fire, um, his friend that he's also gone through the the school with uh, Tim, uh, probationary firefighter Tim. Uh, they go to uh, a fire that uh, blew up this was this a politician who this fire killed in this house or was this like a wealthy businessman i forget who this was um so we find out much later in the movie that this guy along with the two other guys who are kind of assassinated by fire are like uh finance guys like okay. um, who, who who kind of cook the books for yeah. another character that we'll introduce uh sometime uh, yeah in a yeah little bit. <laughs> yeah during yeah during this opening bar scene we we cut to this we this uh what seems to be a random guy walking up to his front door and as he and opens the door we hear the backdraft fire sound and go and the entire house explodes uh, and yeah it turns out that that guy is part of a big political uh scam later on but uh fire at this point uh, in the movie and for a long time we, he's yeah. not named. We do not know nope. who the fuck he is. <laughs> nope. <laughs> we don't really know any of the of what the conspiracy stuff is. We just know that there is some mayor guy who's talking like you gotta you gotta solve this case, De Niro. Come on. <laughs> and De Niro's like, "Hey, you talking to me? Fuck you." <laughs> well, this is kind of cool because, like, you know, talking about De Niro, like, um, this is still in the time where De Niro was just like hired as an actor to to be in movies like in before he like because I think the point of where he becomes quote-unquote De Niro um is like when he does like um analyze this and then like meet the parents and then he's kind of hired to be De Niro not just right. like a character in a movie but at this stage in his career, he's still being hired to just be a character in a movie. Right. He actually has has a name and a certain characteristic characteristic that he has to perform. Yes. Um, yeah, because the year before this, he was in what many people would consider one of the best films ever made, Goodfellas. That is true. Uh, and yeah, so he's, he's still doing the acting thing um, before, you're right, he just is De Niro on set. Yeah, but, it's kind of more the turn of the millennium. He, he becomes just like he yeah. just keeps getting hired to be like, oh, just be De Niro. Like I'm not even sure right. if it's his choice or not. Like it seems like he just keeps getting scripts. And it's like, well, yeah, like just just do the yeah, you look to me, you know, like you know, like, <laughs> you know do that thing. Yeah, uh, okay, sure, I suppose. Um, yeah, but like he gets a really like. The characters are re introduced real well because Kurt Russell gets a real loving hero shot coming out of the building. Oh, yeah. And De Niro's introduction is cool as well because he just looks kind of like really laid back and, and cool and kind of brooding. He's just kind of leaning against a car, smoking a cigarette, thinking deep thoughts, you know. So they both get cool introductions. Yeah, he's sitting on the car and he's thinking because the way that he approaches his investigation uh, of of the fire is that he's treating fire like it's a living, breathing thing. Like it is that, you know, that naturalistic monster that he has to outwit and outthink and out 
whatever the survival the survival mantra is outlast or whatever um so he's trying to think you know he's just sitting out there like yeah how'd you how did you how did you start where did you come from what did you do but then kurt russell who is our main our main topic here and really the big brooding man yeah he gets the slow motion walking through smoke bat backlit hans zimmer score swelling and he's walking outside and he sees his brother for the first time i think you're right in like six years so yeah i think brian has just been away some he has just been away from chicago for six years and has only had contact with that one barman it's so weird just the whole the whole time Oh, dear. But um, yes, at this point, uh, we find out that Brian is going to be in the same company as Kurt Russell's character, Stephen Bull McCaffrey. Yes. Uh, and and Steve, I guess uh, Brian attempted to bribe his way into another fire company, probably what seemed to be a safer fire company with a bottle of scotch. And uh, his brother Bull says, uh, yeah, no, I called him and you're going to be working with one of the hardest companies in the city, my company. And yep. it has a great line there of like one bottle of scotch, Brian, you're getting cheap in your old age. <laughs> it's really Love good. That line. And I love how the bribe half worked. Like, so he, he bribed the, the, the guy and to get transferred to another company and to see his exam results early. So the first, the, 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 the latter part did work. The former part did not. So like nope. um, kind of obviously not a trustworthy man who can be bri- who can be bribed but also like not follow through with the bribe or only follow through with half of the bribe as um yeah he should definitely be investigated yeah he he's he just got a bottle of scotch and reneged yeah <laughs> I, oh, I, I love the next scene as well like uh, just after this where um like uh, Brian goes to visit what he still thinks is Stephen's house where he you know he goes to visit Stephen's wife uh, Helen and their child uh, Sean and uh, we get this little moment where like he's like hey it's your uncle Brian you remember your uncle Brian and the kid gives him the shittiest like who the fuck are you I don't like you fuck off look it's so funny that it's, it's it's meme worthy it's screenshot worthy but but again like what we were saying this film is so just out of the pop culture zeitgeist of everyone's mind when it comes to like action movies but yeah if you pause it on this kid's face who i don't i think he only went on to do like one other acting thing after yeah, that so. you pause it on his face the birth of bitch please <laughs> who the hell are you get off of me what and, and there's also a hint of like what are you wearing type thing in here. <laughs> yeah it's just like he has this little slip like mm-hmm. yeah 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 just various levels of disgust of like what are you doing on my lawn yep. what is what's that look on your face why do you think you know me what's this get up i don't i don't like any of what i'm seeing and, and then Brian also, he does an impersonation, and I've I've remembered this line the ever since the first time seeing it, but he he has like this little inside joke with this kid mm. with, who I guess I guess laughed at it when he first saw him when he was first born or whatever. But Brian says, spinach? 
we don't need no stinking spinach. Do you know what that is a reference to? I never knew what that was a reference to. I have not a goddamn clue. I I, I was watching this movie <laughs> this morning, and I was just like, I wonder if Caleb will know what that's a reference to. Know. Maybe that's like an American thing. It's maybe it's like a like from an American cartoon that didn't make it over here or something. Maybe like, I don't. I I, just, I never. I always remember that line because I thought it was so ridiculous. But I've always remembered that it's, it's actually popped into my head every once in a while where i'm just like spinach don't need no stinking spinach <laughs> maybe it's like a popeye thing i don't know yeah no that's that was my only thought i was like i was like i don't remember popeye like ever saying that but like me neither <laughs> like, maybe maybe it was the the villain he always fought uh, which i forget was that the villain he fought i never yeah i can't remember yeah maybe yeah, it was Brutal. Maybe it was. I don't know. I just remember that line. Yep. Yeah. But yeah. Fun story, Caleb. They... Uh, Popeye, the Robin Williams film, is the first Robert Altman film I ever saw. Whoa. That was... Oh, God. It's been so long since I've seen that thing. <laughs> <laughs> we can't go on any more tangents, so we got to get back to this movie. I'm sorry. Right. It's okay. <laughs> okay. Um, but yeah, so the spinach line happens. He runs in. Brian uh, meets up with Helen, who is played by Rebecca Rebecca de Mornay, who I will always love seeing on screen. She was always one of my early, early day crutches. Um, several people probably know her from Risky Business. I'm one of the weirdos that remember her from the Disney film Three Musketeers. Any of you remember, recall that one with... Uh, that's uh, going to be you, the bonus episode of this season. This one, this one. Spoiler! Uh, it was a surprise. <laughs> we planned uh, that so well. <laughs> he for Sutherland as a musketeer. It's great. Um, I loved her in that movie, and so seeing her here, I was like, "Oh yes, I remember. I remember her." But yeah, she she tells him that actually uh, no, there's there's a three, that I feel like I feel like now you've got to be on the, the Three Musketeers episode because there's a through line here. Like this this is one of the last tangents we'll go on. There is a through line here in terms of like, so you're on this episode which stars Rebecca Dormorny and you are also going to join us for the Executive Decision episode which stars <laughs> Oliver Platt. And, you know, because the films have to be connected uh, the f bonus films have to be connected in some way to the main season, and the connections are obviously Rebecca De Mornay and Oliver Platt appear in Three Musketeers. That's that's right. That is absolutely right. So I feel like you have to make that trilogy now. Well, I will gladly talk about Three Musketeers, the Americanized version. <laughs> absolutely. Okay. Kiefer Sutherland, Chris O'Donnell. Oh yeah. <laughs> um, but coming back to this movie so Rebecca De Mornay is entirely wasted in this film much like oh, Jennifer yeah. Jason Lee is um, yeah I mean I suppose it's the 90s it's an action film female characters don't often get it best no unfortunately they, they're typically playing either the assistants or they're playing the um, the uh, the wife or the person at home who's taking care of taking care of the family and who's always worried about the risky stuff that um, their action hero husbands or boyfriends are doing. So yeah, unfortunately, that's how action movies worked back in the nineties. But that's it's exactly what's happening here. Uh, 
uh, we'll come to find out later on, but yeah, um, Helen doesn't like all of the risks that Stephen takes because he's reckless when he goes into a fire and tells Brian that he moved out uh, many months ago and now he's living on uh, what used to be their dad's boat, uh, which I guess, as we've determined, is actually Kurt Russell's boat. <laughs> so, um, yeah. but yeah, and Brian. Like Kurt Russell, like, cool character in this film. We've already established that he's a cool character with our loving hero shot, but he's living on a boat. He's listening to Cream. What's not to like? nothing there's nothing he's you know he's in a uh, a tank top he's drinking beer uh he was kind of trashing the boat but you can he's just leaning back and he's without a care in the world he's kind of living the life even though he misses being with his uh, his family uh at this point though he's kind of okay with it uh, like yeah he seems much less broken up than he will in about 20 minutes <laughs> right. <laughs> right but uh yeah so brian goes out talks to him on on the boat saying why did you change my station here brian gets a little a little glimpse of of uh, these canisters uh that look like some type of fire accelerant which we'll learn later is tryptochlorate yes yes tryptochlorate um tryptochlorate. but it's just it's just a kind of a throwaway thing like ooh, canisters here that's weird uh, but yeah tryptochlorate yes yes that that uh, apparently the uh, the doctors in the morgue have absolutely no idea what that is which i i find a little strange seeing how a, <laughs> a doctor or someone of the medical field who works with chemicals doesn't know what a chemical <laughs> That, but you know it's true um, uh, but anyway um that's that's pretty much that and but then we we move on we move on yep. to brian's first firefighting mission and as throughout the movie uh we'll we'll probably talk about pretty much all the firefighting scenes are exciting they are fun they also make no goddamn sense as like <laughs> uh like hardly anybody like on the firefighting mission brian is the only person wearing breathing apparatus nobody else is wearing breathing apparatus everybody else is just going into the fire you know uh steven and everybody else is just going into the fire just being like yeah it's fine uh but steven is telling brian that he needs to be wearing breathing apparatus and it's almost like a thing of being like ah yes because you're the weakling uh, so you need to be wearing the breathing apparatus uh but everybody else says uh, it doesn't it doesn't matter I think I think Tim was wearing it. The other probationary firefighter. Oh yes. Okay. So yeah, I was yeah, yeah. I was so thinking like more of it newbies. was like a you're it's not like a... a that thing of like oh the newbies have to do it. But then when you become a real man, a real firefighter, you can just face it. It's yeah. You, you know my my mind was going into the um kind of like the safety route, where I was like, well they're they're new, they're not accustomed to breathing in smoke and fire a lot so that's why they're wearing it but i think more likely the reasoning in the script here is the reason that, that you're portraying is that these are newbies kurt russell every one of uh acts everyone here who is established we're all real men we don't wear masks that's right <laughs> i think you're right with that yeah but, but also, yeah also like the... yeah talking about acts right so um Axe is played by uh, Scott Glenn, who mm -hmm. 
people will know for various things. Maybe maybe younger listeners will know him as uh, Sticks from the Daredevil, the Netflix Daredevil uh, series. Um, I have a question, Caleb. Oh, yes. Do you think Scott Glenn is a vampire? Because he has always looked the same to me. He has always looked this leathery, wrinkly old man going back to the 80s. Yeah. Like, I think, what the I fuck? Think he but he doesn't, it doesn't like, he's, he's the same wrinkly old man, though. He's, right. he's like, he's still like now. Like, he's like 30 years later, he's 82 now. Like, he's still, I don't under, he just doesn't, he just, he was born that way. He stayed that way. Like, I don't understand. <laughs> He, uh, yeah, he even looked, because uh, he was in Silence of the Lambs that came out a couple of months before this film was released. That's right. And he looked the, yeah, he looked the same there. He, uh, I think he is a vampire. Actually, he probably got like vampire skills or eating skills from Hannibal Lecter. So mm. that he knew how exactly to, um, to scarf someone's eternal life or life essence into himself. But yeah, he always looks the same in everything. Yeah. Come to find out, he will be a much bigger player later on in this film. Indeed. But they, but they, they kind of just like show him here and there. But he's not really in the forefront at all in the first half of this movie. No, not not at all. He's kind of like a, uh, yeah, I kind of figure to the side um, yeah. uh, for the uh, yeah, um, yeah. much of the first much of the first half. It's kind of a and. It, it, it's weird because like they kind of establish later that he's kind of been a little bit of a kind of father figure figure uh, to to Stephen and, and and Brian. Um, but they don't like, yeah, they don't like kind of properly establish it earlier on. So when it kind of comes up, you know, like they kind of do like in a kind of kind of throwaway comment type way of like, ah, oh, practically raised this kid, you know, and then it's like, but it's not. They don't really portray that relationship a lot. Not really, other than really the only moment that we get is the opening uh, death scene of of uh, Captain uh, McAfee because Axe is the one that was saved by their by their father and he's running out of the building uh, hugging Brian when he was a kid because he knows that his dad is dead. Um, but that's really all that we all that we get. But and then kind of slowly we see him start getting a couple more lines in this scene and getting a little bit emotional with another line in this scene to the point where you go, okay, I think, I think they're finally showing us the, uh, the villain here or the person perpetrating what's going on in this movie. Yeah. Oh, we know the real villain. It's fire. <laughs> oh, it's fire. And then the fire in this opening scene, because I think we would, we would watch this opening scene a lot, especially yeah, my yeah. younger brother, because he loved again, being a fire or wanting to be a firefighter and hearing this time around, hearing everything that's being said from Kurt Russell, it's in the walls. And then it bursts out of the walls, like a, like a, like a velociraptor or something. <laughs> I just love how they portray fire. It's like this own living thing that's out to kill everyone. Yeah. But like, it's where it's, I think it's even funnier when um like uh brian goes off on this little solo mission mission because he thinks he hears somebody screaming and then he kind of trips over his own feet and uh then like the fire kind of sneaks out like a little grate like like a snake or something and then like just and then just goes (laughs) 
and <laughs> engulfs yeah, the like, floor and it's like what is going on and yeah the, and he's okay <laughs> yeah he, he he's he's fine he's fine and he saves a mannequin he he yeah we'll we'll find out that this brian character the reason really why he wants to be a firefighter is to be a hero is to be i get or maybe even just to have that recognition of hey i saved a life um, whether it's because he couldn't save his dad as a child in the fire, whatever, whatever you want, they don't really come out and say exactly why. He just wants to save someone. But he sees what looks to be a body on the ground and is so excited that I finally saved someone from a burning building and brings it out. And I can only imagine if this was real life, the ribbing and all of the shit that he would be getting from all of his coworkers to find out that he actually saved a mannequin and not a real person. Yeah. <laughs> I, I couldn't imagine all the ridicule that he'd be getting. Oh man. Um, so bad. He'd be getting, he'd be getting it so bad. Yeah. Uh, but actually before that, there is the, the big firefighter moment though, that comes back many times is the, if you go, we go line that's mentioned. So there's a moment where Brian falls down or there's an explosion. He falls down. Someone walks over him and he's like, hey, help me. And the firefighter says, sorry, kid, I thought you were dead. And then a second later, the floor collapses and there's a firefighter who is hanging there for his life. And another firefighter is grabbing onto him. He's like, I'm going. And then they get the whole you go, we go line. And I'm just thinking, before you were so quick to say this probationary firefighter was like, I thought you were dead. I'm sorry. But And then here it was like, well, if you go, we go. <laughs> Team spirit, man. Never, I never noticed that growing up. But here I was like, well, that's kind of shitty. <laughs> yeah, a little bit. <laughs> you make such like a big deal about this shit, you go, so we go line. Yeah, it's only you, I you go, we you were go. Dead. I just stepped right over you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you only get the you go, we go if, you know, if you've earned your stripes. You but yeah, know. so the, the, the fire happens. <laughs> you only get that one. Um, but yeah, so the, the fire's happening. Brian comes out. He thinks he saves a mannequin, even though you'd think you'd, you'd feel how hollow she is or how stiff the body is. Um, but yeah, saves a, saves a mannequin and is ridiculed for it. And uh, then we're kind of coming down after the fire and this is where we get our first little uh, kind of interaction between the 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 mayor character and robert de niro's investigative character i think yeah yeah, yeah. we we get a bit of interaction uh, with them and then uh, who is played by uh, gt walsh who will appear in a few films. Oh, which which one is that uh, mcgee the alderman character J yeah jt walsh that's right it's played by uh, jt walsh um, the late J.T. Walsh, who will yeah. appear in... Uh, yeah, J.C. Walsh is like, hey, you got to figure out what's going on here. He is. And um, there is... A, he says something to Kurt Russell about, like, his career. Like, oh, the glow in your eye, that's the career line dwindling or something or other. Yeah, so, yeah, J.T. Walsh, uh, Alderman, leans over to Kurt Russell and says something like, oh, you see the gleam in your eye, that's your reputation or your career going down the toilet or something like that and kurt russell is being uh, is restraining himself even though you can tell like he really wants to punch his lights out um because he's angry because alderman 
closed uh, closed one of the firehouses that was going to be the backup for this big fire. Yeah. Yeah. And there, there's kind of two like really funny things I want to point out about this scene because I, I think they're worth mentioning. One funny thing is like we get a shot of the burnt out building where Axe and basically all of the fire crew are smoking in the burnt out building which i found <laughs> real hilarious and yeah. also the other thing that i that i found hilarious in this scene was that for some reason everybody's obsessed with alderman's shoes like de niro mentions alderman's shoes and kurt russell uh, mentions alderman's shoes like it's just like a kind of thing of like uh yeah I just thought that was funny. I was thinking it was it was like a, you know, again, this is, you know, bravado, a man's world, man's man type stuff that if your shoes are, you know, nice and shiny, that means that you don't you don't go out and do anything. You sit behind a desk safely or something like that. Yeah, um, he's talking about like, oh, you see those fucking shoes are like fucking butter. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, no, That's a fair point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I do, I do love that interaction of these firefighters smoking as they're, as they're, you know, uh, breaking through everything and cleaning everything in this building. I just love that little touch, and I also love how they talk about Bull, how they talk about Stephen as if he's like the fire whisperer. Oh he's yeah, the, he's the only one that knows what a fire's thinking, and he <laughs> never wears a mask. And from what I see, he never buttons up his jacket ever. Because <laughs> he, he's just too cool, uh, <laughs> and he he is too cool. That's why we're doing a retrospective on him. So <laughs> that is absolutely right. <laughs> yeah, I also love like it's it's a it's a small scene that we don't really need to talk about. But again, it's just one of those ones I just think is very funny to watch, where Brian and uh, Bull are driving in a car. Uh, back to, to, to Brian's home and uh, they're just listening to the song War in total stony silence and it's just the fact you've got this really upbeat funky song and it's just like their grim stone faces it's just, I don't it's, know, it tickled me it's a, little, it's a little touch from Ron Howard just making sure that the audience knows that hey they're brothers that really hate each other but also love each other to death and it's just this big tug of war between the two. In case you didn't get that originally, yes, absolutely. I do. I, I do love that little scene though, I, I'm, because it it just shows that I think these two have great chemistry with each other. It feels like these two are brothers, even yeah, though yeah, for for sure, I th I think they do. And um, yeah, they 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 bicker in the way that kind of uh, brothers do. Like it's yeah, everything here is. Nothing here is is subtle. Like it is about as subtle as a bag of spanners being fired out of a cannon. You know, like there's there's nothing. Everything's heavy-handed. Everything's melodramatic, but it's still it's still fun to watch. It still kind of works. <laughs> yeah, it's not annoying in any way. It's 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 again, it's all fun. Uh, but yeah, so they they drop off and uh, they kind of go about their their lives for the next couple of days i'm assuming in in the firehouse brian's actually doing the firefighter thing that he wasn't doing before and um his brothers overseeing everything um do we go right to the retirement party 
Yeah, we cut we cut after to this? the retirement party where yeah. after seeming not that caught up about it, now like uh, Stephen is like properly pining over Helen and she watches him uh watches her sitting at a table with another man and then is watching her like dancing with this other guy and just getting shit faced. Yeah, he's he's drinking scotch or whiskey or whatever it is. And I, I do love a drunk Kurt Kurt Russell. He's, he's quite funny. <laughs> yeah, he's, yeah. Dr- sure. He's misplacing his cup and the glass is breaking. He's like, okay, just chill out. He's just um, tripping over shit. <laughs> yeah. It does suck though that his wife is there with another, I'm assuming another firefighter or another yeah, I'm guy related so. to the firefighter. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, I mean, so if that's the case, I mean, it sucks because you're going to bump into each other in these awkward situations. And Steven just does not handle awkward that well because he always need he always needs to be the alpha male in everything, in every situation. Yeah. Um, so they get in. There's a couple back and forths in this scene. Apparently, Brian is in the paper because he saved the mannequin but everyone thought it was real. Uh, yeah, because the rest of the fire crews save an actual woman and the newspaper right. conflated the two things and yep. now it looks like the Brian has been portrayed as a hero in the local Chicago yep. paper. And it's all just more embarrassment uh, for Brian and he's feeling again like he's not living he's not living up to his father's expectations and not living up to his brother's expectations. Um, even though he uh, Brian does not want to admit that uh, Stephen has any impact on him at all. It's obvious that he absolutely does. Um, I've been that. I'm. I've been that middle child, that secondary child in a family line before, and seeing this brotherly love and frustration with each other, been there, know exactly where these two are coming from. But that 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 scene uh i feel like is um kind of like a kind of classic brother moment because like and it's one of the as much as much what much of what happens in this film is melodramatic and silly like one of this is one of the moments that really rings true to me of like that guy who is dancing with helen talks shit about brian and then steven punches him out because a brother can talk shit about their brother, but mm-hmm. not somebody else cannot. Nope. If if someone else does something wrong to my brother, it's it's I will lay into you. But I can lay into my brother all I want, and nothing, and no one else, no one else can. But yeah, so they get into a little tussle, and then Brian sees it. He runs over and starts punching out the other like backup for this guy too. Um, and I love I love these moments. I totally forgot about it, but Kurt Russell, like he's he's being pulled away. And he's like, I'm fine, I'm fine, I'm fine. And then slowly goes back over and tries to start the fight again. He does it like three <laughs> times. I, I forgot about it uh, from not watching it, but little moments like that. I love it. Oh yeah, no, it's it's so good because he plays it so well of just being like, I'm cool, it's okay. I've I've calmed down now. I'm I'm yeah. totally I'm it's it's all good. It's all good. I'm not going to do okay. it. And then he just runs over and tries to smack the guy again yeah. and starts the whole rumble again. Oh, oh it's so funny. Even I think even the last time, it looks like he's going to go over and like shake his hand or apologize because he's like kind of slowly going over there and he's like, rah, rah, rah. love it. 
so good. As as I know, you're also a fan of wrestling. It feels very much like wrestling. Is it's just like a classic kind of like psych? No, fuck you. (laughs) This feels like the uh, like the go home episode to a big pay per view fight where they have the two in the ring, and then all the referees come down and they separate them. And then one of them breaks out and then they start brawling and then they separate him again. Yep, that's exactly what this is. Yeah, 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 yeah. When they both have to sign the contract and I was like, oh. <laughs> and someone's going to flip the table. Yep. <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. Craig's away so I can make wrestling references all at once. It's a <laughs> and, and Craig won't, won't side mention like, I don't know what's going on. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Um, and then after that, though, like Brian uh, takes Stephen back home, and this is the, the kind of the one moment where like you're kind of wrong-footed by the score because like basically they're having like this little kind of heart-to-heart of Bull is semi-comatose because he's um, you know totally out of his mind drunk, and Brian mm-hmm. is like, and then but like there's this kind of like upbeat kind of score going on. It's it's like very very kind of peppy you know like it's very kind of it's like what's what's happening here where where is this where is this going and then where does it go caleb it goes into one of the dumbest montage songs (laughs) i've ever heard i completely forgot about this or maybe i just never noticed it growing up but yeah, here they have this beautiful brother brother moment where, and until uh, Stephen uh, passes out because he's drunk. And then, yeah, we go into this montage of them drilling uh, at the firehouse. And it's this song called The Show Goes On by Bruce Hornsby. And the only way I can describe it is if you've ever hired a videographer for a wedding in the 90s or the 80s this would have been the song playing under like all of the picture montages of this couple at a wedding i i don't yeah this is bad (laughs) this was so bad it was not hans zimmer so i'm not gonna put this on hans zimmer but why is this song here i have no idea but i can't i mean it's in terms of its like campy value and in terms of its homoerotic value, it is a montage <laughs> right up there with uh, Top Gun. Because we just get like lots of shots of like them kind of like lovingly pouring water over their head for no reason, and kind of like lots of wet shirts, you know, lots of. <laughs> I think they also turn the hose on and start drinking from the hose in there. I think. Yeah. Yeah. That's right. That's right, they do. <laughs> they're playing they're playing basketball, they're they're drilling, they're running the, the hose up the stairs to the roof of the firehouse. Yeah, this <laughs> I don't remember this song being so campy, but it started. I'm like, what? Is this a read a redo or something for the Blu-ray release? But ugh. <laughs> no, I, I never want to hear this song. Funny. It's such it's such a transitional song between like 80s music and 90s music too. Mm-hmm. If you, it's the definition of ni- of 1990 and 1991, and I'll yes. never listen to the song again. Which is a very yeah, it's a very kind of particular time of like yeah, yeah. It's, it's not quite the it's not quite the 80s. It's not quite got into the because it's it's like I think like I know it's not like a glam metal song or whatever, 
Um, but like a lot of rock songs and metal songs of that kind of time period, this kind of it's like yeah, there's like the big eighties pomp, and then you know like by the time you get to like yeah, like later on in ninety one, like Nirvana get big and like grunge gets big and and stuff like that. But there's this kind of little bit yeah, it's in just between. before that yeah. <laughs> yeah yeah but this but this is where we get another another sibling rivalry thing because steven doesn't like how brian is running the hose up the stairs and then steven comes over and says damn it get the thing on your shoulder and they race each other to the roof where we get the awesome i don't know if it was improv or whatever but, but steven falls down on the stairs brian stops and looks back and steven says run damn you and <laughs> the only way Kurt Russell can almost almost if we're talking wrestling almost Vince McMahon like run damn you <laughs> yeah it's a very fair point <laughs> yeah uh, but it, then we have a little argument on top and we're getting this at least I'm getting the sense that Brian is is not loving not loving the life of being a fireman and Stephen is thinking that well eventually you're gonna quit eventually um, might be today, might be tomorrow, might be a year from now, but eventually, you know, you are going to quit because that's who you are. Um, and we're starting to get the the sense of that, I think, here. Yeah, for sure. Although it does feel like the relationship does feel a little bit schizophrenic at this point because you're like, with the kind of loving chat that they had after taking him home, and then like we've just watched this montage. And then that scene of them being kind of competitive, but kind of cool with each other. And then they're kind of laughing on the rooftop and then they're immediately bickering again. And you're like, huh? oh, I kind of thought that they were kind of good now. Like, I thought that's what the film had led me to. No, no, they're kind of not. All right, fair. <laughs> yeah. I, and I guess like we could attribute that to maybe some revisions in the writing, but I've had those moments with my brother. And that's where yeah, I'm getting the, the chemistry between the two. It's like, yeah, you can go from laughing your ass off to wanting to punch each other in the face in like five seconds. I've been Yeah, there. that's a fair point. Oh, like I, I've had things like, like that with my, my little brother when we were yeah. doing that as well. So I, I suppose, yeah, that, that's true. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's very fair. Um, but um, we get to go to another fire uh, mm -hmm. just not long after this, like Brian and uh, Stephen. Uh, go to a fire and uh, we get more of like the fire acting like like a monster that's just kind of like going around going on you know is coming from from under the door then coming back out of the door and all this kind of all this kind of stuff going on and uh, Stephen goes into the fire and uh, Brian like uh, I think thinks Stephen dies when he goes in, into the fire because we get this like slow-mo moment of like uh brian like uh doing the kind of you know i know this is referencing a much later movie um but like it's a bit like that moment in revenge of the sith where he's like no but you know brian's Steven! going Steven! <laughs> and, <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah because uh steven runs in uh they open the door up well actually right before this we the fire scene starts with the mother running to the fire truck saying my baby is in there i don't know about you i hate this cliche and this trope in these movies 
in action movies when the mother or the parent is outside telling the cops or the firefighter, my baby is up there. You ran out of the building without grabbing your child. Yeah. Aim <laughs> <laughs> on you. And I see it all the time. It was in the first Spider-Man movie. My baby is up there. Yeah. Why are you down here? <laughs> what the fuck you are should you be up there? <laughs> protecting them or helping them. Um, yeah. But yeah, so so uh, that's why they're running in by themselves. Uh, Kurt Russell, he uh, bursts the door down and he runs in right away. But Brian hesitates. He takes a moment. He catches his breath. And there's this big, like you said, almost mini explosion. Um, and he does the whole Steven. And I think he, yeah, he, he loses him there. It's, a, it's another callback moment to when he watched his father die and the fire engulfed the entranceways. Uh, the rest of the firemen uh, come in later, acts uh, with the fire hose, but he's sitting there thinking he just lost his his brother again. The fire got his family again. The, the monster got his family again. But another great heroic slow-mo scene, Kurt Russell. I think it's the most iconic scene of this film. It's Kurt the, Russell. It is literally the image on the poster. Yep. Kurt Russell running out of the door. A jacket unbuttoned with his axe in his hand and the kid in his hand, saving the day again. Stephen Old McAfee. Apparently, 200 kids auditioned for that part <laughs> to be in because obviously they knew they were going to be on the poster, I suppose. <laughs> <laughs> What was the uh, what was the auditioning criteria like? For I don't that? know. Like, I don't, like uh, Kurt Russell just lifted a lot of kids that day. <laughs> <laughs> just being like, all right, Kurt Russell, how does this one feel? <laughs> do I have that? Do I have the child for you? <laughs> too heavy? Too light? Does it? Is it good? <laughs> good fit for you? Like, how's it going? <laughs> 200 kids wow that's Kurt Russell lifts up kid number 178 and being like Jesus Christ how many more of these and, and always with his right hand it was never with his left he's not going to be you know again this is a man's man movie it's always going to be with my right hand <laughs> oh, I just I, I just picture all the parents they're just trying to like sell their children to get, like come on get the role please <laughs> You're gonna be on the poster, goddammit. <laughs> you better you better get this roll. Or it's gonna you're not gonna have a Christmas this year. Oh dude. Um, I do you know one of the interesting things I, I read about as well, and then I was like I, I looked out for it in the credits, was that um like Kurt Russell and William Baldwin and uh, Scott Glenn were all like trained up by like Chicago um, fire department uh, uh, kind of people and uh, yeah, did some kind of fire, fire training and stuff like that and uh, did a lot of their own stunts and are credited amongst the stuntmen. Oh, really? That's that, I'm actually very glad to hear that. I love when, when we get these action movies, the, you know, the actual actors doing the live stunts, but I think this, this is even better because this was live fire. Yeah. Which is, I mean, which as point, much as you prepare for, is still unpredictable. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. No, I read a story that at one point that, um, like, uh, there is a scene later on in the movie, basically the finale, where, like, um, Scott Glenn's leg, like, caught on fire proper. And, like, he had to be, like, 
doused kind of out, you know, like could have been like seriously injured. Oh, geez. Yeah. But that's awesome to, to hear that they were willing to, to do that. I always, I always respect the, the, you know, the big camera face actors who are willing to, uh, to go about do that. And I think that was really kind of, again, the turn of this, this nineties era with people like, uh, like Kurt Russell and Keanu Reeves who were willing to actually go through the training of whatever action star action film that they were in. Um, especially later on with Keanu, uh, with John Wick, um, you see all those videos of him going through all the, the gun training and gun foo training or whatever. Yeah, that's um, so true. I, I always love that. I always love seeing that. Yeah. And Keanu is like a big, like, um, lifelong martial arts enthusiast and like his training yeah. various martial arts and that as well. So like, yeah, yeah, yeah no, no, I always re- re- respect that as well. But yeah. going back to the movie, this is kind of the mm-hmm. point where Brian is like, nope, this isn't for me. I'm going to like, we should probably should have established that, that Alderman, uh, offered him a role in, in his office to well not in his office uh, to kind of be assistant to to Don uh, De Niro's character um, and which he had previously declined but he now decides to accept this offer yeah because he realizes that he's never going to be or at least he thinks he's never going to be that hero of a firefighter so he wants to kind of take a back seat and joins De Niro as his assistant in this political espionage investigation that's been happening <laughs> behind, <laughs> our, behind our backs as an audience. <laughs> like yeah, we like we knew that De Niro was, you know, searching for who's starting these fires or researching how these fires were started, but I guess it's it's becoming political because Alderman's like, hey, you gotta help him get to the bottom of this. Yeah. Uh, but yeah at, at this point we're just kind of like oh okay so yeah. this is a thing now so we yeah. we start falling and i must say that like as much as i like kurt russell in this movie um i think de niro is a joy in this movie i i really do i really enjoy his performance apparently his, his character dom rimmelgate is is like based on like a real guy who is also called dom rimmelgate um oh, so yeah. like uh so that's quite fun and then, like, he has a bunch of real fun scenes. And uh, just uh, kind of at this point in the movie, we get a totally random scene. A lot of the, mo- the this movie is totally random scenes, to be fair. Uh, but we do get a totally random scene of, like, Don just chewing this random firefighter out. And it's <laughs> it's so fun. <laughs> it's, it's how they, I, I wrote it down here, like, we got to establish De Niro as a badass somehow. And he's not he's not an action star anymore. Is this is not taxi driver De Niro, but we got to establish him as a major authority. So he's just going to chew out this this probably probie firefighter in his office. And he's like, "Was this before or after you realized that there was an open gas line? Get the hell out of my office!" Uh, and this was and this is the first day that uh, a Brian comes down and he's his new assistant. So it's a nice little introduction to your new boss, I think. Um, <laughs> but I do like their, I do like their chemistry uh, too. This kind of this mentor, uh, men- mentorship role that De Niro takes on with Brian, I think unwillingly too. Um, but they go, so that's the the, the morning <laughs> for them, uh, and then they go to prison where 
we really don't know why they're going to prison until we meet up with Donald Sutherland, uh, Donald Sutherland's character, Ronald Bartel, Bartel, uh, who is in prison and is about to supposedly get probation. Um, but he set up a lot of fires uh, in his young age. And uh, De Niro is there to basically stop him. Shadow's there to stop him from being let out, if possible. Yes. And this is another character that does not need to be in the movie. But I'm real <laughs> glad that he is. Because yes. Donald Sutherland is doing this weird, creepy whispery voice and he is like Hannibal Lecter but instead of cannibalism his thing is arson yep and this you know this movie came out I think three or four months after Silence of the Lambs did so I feel a little bad for this movie because this whole this character and this whole coming to visit uh, come to visit Ronald to get his insight on maybe who started the fire or how they're starting the fire. All of this was done masterfully with uh, uh, with Jodie Foster and Anthony Hopkins in Silence of the Lambs. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, oh, no, I didn't. I never realized this as a kid. But now I'm like, oh, they totally I don't know. They didn't rip it off. But God, that's just poor timing for yeah, this yeah, movie. Yeah. Because I think all the reviews at the time were like, oh, this Hannibal Lecter type that's in the movie for some reason. Yep. Yeah. But but like you said, Donald Sutherland is great here. He yeah, he's talking very, very softly with always this little tiny gleam of, of joy and happiness whenever he sees like a burnt doll or pictures of a burnt building or people being burned. There's just this twinkle in his eye this happy little like i was thinking kind of like childish yeah joy that comes over him and it's really cool cool to see from him he is Um, quite childlike in in the role but like this is the one thing that he's not like lector because he is considerably is as much as he's apparently a master criminal and master arsonist he's not entirely all that clever because he can only keep up the facade he, you know, as soon as Don presents him with the burnt doll and starts right. asking him about, like, and what do you want to do with the, this? And what do you want to do with the other girls? And what do you want to mm-hmm. do with the old ladies? He's just like, burn them. I want yes, to I burn, burn them. them. You know, like, and what do you want to do with everything? I want to burn it all. And then he's like, oh, whoops. Um, sorry, I shouldn't have said that in front of the parole board. Uh, 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 can well, I this parole back? board is this parole board is pretty dumb too. Oh yeah, 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 for sure. They're like they're just watching him, and he's like, "Oh yeah, yeah, I'll never do it again." And it looks like they're about to stamp approve. Oh yeah, no, the, the parole board are idiots. Of like, he is the least convincing. Like, no, I totally don't want to. Like, it's you know, you could almost imagine them like playing with matches, being like, "No, I don't want to burn anything at all." No. It's like, yeah, okay, totally, totally get it. Yeah, I think he's reformed. Yeah. <laughs> oh, thank God you were there, De Niro. We would have, oh, crisis averted. Thank you. Yeah. Oh, spectacular <laughs> <But>, stuff. <laughs> so, after this scene, we get the introduction of him. I believe we get our, our second death at the theater. Yes, this, this is the random... second assassination by fire, which for some reason is the, um, I mean, like I said, I'm not. I watched this movie as a kid, but I probably not watched it in 20 years. And for some reason, this is the explosion that 
stuck in my mind the most like when he like uh goes to the back door of the theater and then it's just like whoosh like um like that image like always really stuck in my head with this movie there's one of the kind of key scenes in my head that i always remember uh, yeah i always remembered the smoke kind of creeping in underneath the the door uh, kind of like the door cracks just mm. before as if the fire knew oh hey the guy is here yeah Again, yeah yeah, yeah. Like that's that. that's what that's what i really like that whole i mean this whole this whole skin of scene and like yeah that little that little bit of like yeah it's still acting like this kind of monster being, being like oh i better hide and the book boom <laughs> yeah again it's a monster movie yeah it's it a monster movie <laughs> uh, and i believe this is the first because the, the explosion happened the guy dies and this is the first time that brought that steven sees brian in his new investigative role yes uh, and they're kind of moving Don's assistant yep as Don's assistant and then they move to uh the morgue where they are examining both the bodies i believe if yes. and for those uh, playing, and for those playing the Ron Howard drinking game at home, we get the Clint Howard cameo here, so you can all take the, a shot. The standard Clint Howard cameo, cameo, love it. Such a such a unique looking guy, <laughs> with that bold, partially bald head. You can't miss him in any in any film, especially a Ron Howard film. Uh, but yeah, here we learn that the accelerant that is being used. Um, is a chemical called triptochlorate, which again, Clint Howard has a line in there like none of us knew he, here knew what it was, and Robert De Niro of course is there and like ah oh, it's triptochlorate it's accelerant come on guys and I'm thinking come on guys you're doctors you're scientists you should know this stuff especially if you're in a morgue trying to figure out the cause of death and things um, but yeah so we're now we're getting the the hint as to kind of how these fires are starting yeah. For sure. Um, because because these these uh, these people, at least the people who have died so far, have had. I, I f- from what I gather, they had some like triptochlorate on them mm-hmm. that triggered the backdraft. Uh, Is that correct? I, I think so. Like it <laughs> seems like it was like in his kind of top shirt pocket or something. Like uh, yeah, there was something on them that. Yeah. Maybe uh, maybe that's why we saw the smoke underneath the door because the fire could smell the chemical and it was like, oh, he's about to open the door. Let's go back in. <laughs> um, yeah, for sure. Yeah. Also, the other thing I wanted to point out about this scene is like he, could, Clint Hire totally could have pointed out that like little bit on the corpse's chest while the corpse was lying down there was literally no need for brian to lift the corpse up onto his side it seemed like it was like a first day prank yeah (laughs) or you know now that you mentioned that i'm trying to think of like every law and order or csi episode i don't recall them ever facing the body downward maybe that's a maybe that's like a standard positioning practice maybe I don't know. I like the I like the prank theory. Let's let's call it the prank theory. But yeah, Brian is just holding the dead body and he's not used to it. He's like, oh god. It's just desperately oh, it's trying so not disgusting. To yep. Yeah. 
and then we um so we're so we're figuring out okay and we're getting an idea of how these fires are started and then we kind of transition to a, a party scene where brian gets to uh, get back with with jennifer who we find out is the assistant to um to alderman and you know, they start drinking, they get out, they get off the party, they go the party boat, and they go over to where Brian works at the firehouse, where we get one of the best uh, pickup doomy lines I've ever heard. I don't know about you, but when Jennifer says, why don't you show me your fire truck? I was like, well, okay. <laughs> <laughs> you know, as a kid, I never picked up on stuff like that, but as an adult, it's like, wow, you were just come right out and say it. Why don't you? Jesus. Well, the, the next thing you should have said, like, well, pull, pull your hose out or something. I don't know. But yeah, they have a, a little a little scene there at the top of, on, on top of one of the fire trucks. And this is all happening while uh, Station 17, Stephen is taking all of his team up to a uh, what seems to be soon a burning floor of a hotel or apartment complex. And it's funny because whenever they uh, burst down a door to see if fire is behind it, uh, that's the inclination that, oh, hey, more sex is happening on top of the fire truck and we keep cutting back and forth. So oh. if, if you can picture like the axe bursting down the door of the hotel, then we quickly cut back to Brian and Jennifer having sex. And you can imagine it's like, ooh, it's another thrust. Ha ha, funny. Oh, but we should we should mention the apex of this scene. When, uh, when we're kind of doing this kind of cutting back and forth, there is a brilliant moment, best edit in the whole movie, when Kurt Russell says the line, she's hot and smoky, but not rolling yet, and then hard cut back to the sex. Yup. <laughs> and again, our young childish minds had no idea what he was talking about. I thought he was talking about the fire growing up. That is not what that line is referencing. <laughs> <laughs> Run hard, you big pervert. <laughs> yep. Oh, me and my brother were so innocent as children. <laughs> yeah, no, I didn't pick it up as a kid at all. Like, um, nope. I definitely didn't laugh at that line as a kid. I was just like, oh, it's, it's, it's... oh it's hilarious. But it's so funny. Watching this. <laughs> oh, <dear>. But then <laughs> the, the fire people at his station are called, so we get an episode of Coitus Interruptus, just as matters are reaching a climax. <laughs> yep, things are about to end, and all of a sudden the alarm goes off, and the fire truck that they are having sex on is called and uh, is actually called to the building uh, that uh, Station 17 is al already at. So they get to quickly dress themselves while on top of a fire truck driving through the streets of Chicago. Um, but then we cut back to the uh, apartment complex and uh, I guess we should have mentioned that, you know, Axe is kind of acting a little strange and saying, hey, we should wait for more people. We should wait for more stations or, hey, let me go down this hallway. And Steven's not having it. He's saying, let's get this done and, and out of here. And he goes, uh, goes to the left while he orders Axe to go to the right hallway or whatever. Yeah. Um, but then we, uh, we, you know, they're checking doors, they're banging down doors while, uh, while Brian's having sex. 
and uh, Tim fails to check one of the doors, bursts it open, and the huge explosion that engulfs him in fire uh, very badly, to the point where all the firemen come over and they try to put out the fire that he is doused in. Yeah. <laughs> um, yes, they, they, they wheeled him to the hospital and uh, uh, Brian shows up there. Uh, Steven shows up and he has a little altercation with Axe that we really can't hear because it's through the window. But then Brian is starting to ridicule Steven, saying that you're his commanding officer. You should have been with him at all times. Why weren't you? And they get into another brotherly scuffle, a little bit more physical this time. And uh, I always remember after, you know, the punching and all the uh, the grabbing, just rem remembering Kurt Russell being pushed up against the wall with his fellow his fellow firefighters and just seeing the intensity of his cheeks shaking back and forth. I will remember that from my childhood and I'll remember that to this day of just how intense he was in this scene. I love it. Oh, yeah, yeah. He, he's so intense. And it's, it's the proper kind of uh, brooding uh, hero moment of just being like, you know, he's uh, he has that kind of crumpled look in his face because like mm. um, you get both in the hospital and just before they go to the hospital, you get this kind of uh, shot of like the fire crew just like looking really kind of disappointed in him and kind of disproving and just kind of that kind of thing of like oh no he's the boys have lost faith in their leader oh yeah he's looking back and everyone you know is giving him that solemn look and then slowly walking away yeah <laughs> they're, they're losing faith in their in their uh, lieutenant so yeah which it's, kind of uh, yeah <laughs> And then, like, as much as Tim was apparently Brian's best friend, we just, like, don't give a fuck about him now. It's just like, yeah. Like, cause he's, he's just he's just still alive, but then we do not get an update. We, I, I presume he dies, because we do not get an update on him afterwards. We never do find out if he is living the rest of his life as, uh, as the English patient or if he died. I don't know. Nope. But we, yeah, we, you're right. We screwed him. <laughs> and we apparently no longer care about him. Ah, yeah, so the we'll roll on as the movie rolls on because yeah, like, absolutely. It, it just and, this is a movie that just fires subplots at you and then just immediately <laughs> drops characters for no reason, even though they've previously been seen as important. But hey ho, um, we've got more fun with Robert De Niro and I do want to mention this scene because it's a random scene that adds nothing to the movie, really, but it's just Robert De Niro's attitude in this scene is real fun to me, where like Alderman picks him up in his car, Alderman is giving him all this shit about the investigation, and Don is clearly not listening to him at all, just offers him some Chinese sponge cake that he's just chewing <laughs> away on. It's just it's just a real joy to me. Yeah, and there he's talking. Alderman is like, you gotta, you gotta figure out what's what's going on. I mean, it's obviously it's all being murdered because they're all connected. And Don's playing coy. I don't. It, it, at first, how the scene is portrayed, it almost seems like Don is not that intelligent. But in the end, I think he's just playing coy here. And I think he yeah, has some so. suspicion because Alderman all of a sudden lists every single name of the three people that have been killed by these backdrafts. And Don has the great line of just, oh, I didn't realize that the third name, the name of the third victim was released to the public. Hmm. 
and they and then they just hold there. No one speaks or says anything, and the scene ends. Like, <laughs> great, that's well done, well done, sir. Well played, Don. You were playing the long game <laughs> again. Again, this now we're going into like like police drama dramatization where we're, this is an investigation. <laughs> oh yes, this is this is the police procedural uh, part of the movie. Yeah. You know, this should be mentioned as well. So in this season, we will be talking about a bunch of different movies. Um, when I drew up this season, I presumed that uh, Tombstone would be the longest movie that we are covering. But for some reason, this movie at 137 minutes is a whole three minutes longer than Tombstone. Are you serious? Yes. Really? Oh, wow. It is the longest movie. Like, there is no other movie that is longer in this season. Um, there is movies that are close to it because Stargate's two hours and 13, Executive Citizen's uh, decision is two hours and 10. And like I said, Tombstone's two hours and 14 minutes. But no, at two hours and 17 minutes. Don't know how it got to this length. Um, this is the longest film we will cover this season and the longest film we have covered so far on the show. Well, I'm glad that it's a two-man booth here and I'm on this one. <laughs> <laughs> I I watched Tombstone a couple of months ago. That one felt very long to me. I'm shocked that it's shorter than this film. Because to me, this film eclipsed by for the most part. Around I suppose this time, it's because the stuff was so much stuff. And you, right. you're constantly being like, and why is this in the movie? And what <laughs> and what's that subplot doing there? And why does why does it need this character? You know, it's 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 like it's fun to watch, but like there's lots of stuff that you're just like, and this is kind of confusing. But anyway, we're in the kind of yes, we're in the procedural part of the movie. This is a law and order part of the movie, whatever. <laughs> yeah, we don't uh boy it's yeah it's gonna be a while until we get a big actually i think till the climax until we get another big fire scene we get a little a little brief explosion here in a couple minutes but um but yeah like the next big fire scene is at the end um but yeah we start we start diving into uh uh, don and brian kind of figuring out all the connections between all of these unnamed political financial uh financial people all paired with Stephen trying to hook back up with his wife and trying to get back with his with his family. That is right, and we get another kind of tasteful lovemaking scene um, with uh, with with uh, Stephen and Helen. But we should also cover the fact that around this time we get the best line in the movie, where like Don is talking to Brian. And Don randomly starts a fire uh, in a burnt-out hotel room, and uh, the, he is explaining because up until this point we've been hearing the fire, uh, we've been seeing the fire kind of running away and then exploding, and we've been hearing the fire roar and all this kind of stuff. And it's just like, oh, so this is being presented to the audience. Uh, the fire is some sort of kind of monster, um, but then we're like, oh no, the characters believe it is a monster because don says it breathes it eats and it hates <laughs> establishing that yes in this universe fire is a literal monster 
that is that is out. It is a naturalistic monster that only knows one thing, and that's to eat and then go to eat more. That's all it knows. That all it, that's all it breathes. That's all it believes in. And that's all it wants to do. Yep. So so the comparisons to to Jaws are just tremendous with this film and their portrayal of fire. And again, oh, absolutely. I love it. I freaking <laughs> love it. Uh, now I was Fire I was reading Dawn's Great White. <laughs> no, I was reading that uh, the inaccuracies of this movie when asked by by real firefighters that there are really two things that are the big two dis, uh, disagreements. The one is this: is that fire investigations. Yes, there was a time where it was believed that fire is kind of a living thing, but the whole investigative um, idea behind figuring out how fires start, you don't approach it with the idea that, oh, fire, uh, fire is living and it needs to breathe and it needs to, uh, needs to consume or stuff like that. The second one is all of these big fire scenes that we have in this film the the cinematography of it the lighting of it the visual uh, the visuality of it is not realistic because in real life all these big fires you would not be able to see a damn thing in the building um, but of course we obviously do because this is a movie yes and i yes. feel like um in terms of like the criticisms of the portrayal of fires and firefighting i feel like the second point um is generally forgiven of being like yes we understand this is a movie oh, yeah. we understand we need to see the actors we understand that it would not be very interesting if you couldn't see the actors and the action and you know the, the, the stunts going on or whatever so the first point about the fire being a living breathing monster that needs to consume people and just wants to kill um and and hates certain people you know like really you know has a vendetta against people i think that is a bigger sticking point of like it just doesn't make any goddamn sense <laughs> like even in a movie context it doesn't make a goddamn lick of sense it's it's it, there's no it doesn't have a brain <laughs> it's it's a it, it's a scientific thing that yes needs oxygen but it's not there's no emotion or vendetta towards anything. <laughs> yeah, but like in, in this universe, that is not true because yes. Don is like, you see how the fire is tracing up that ceiling? That's not because of science. That's because the fire wants to do that. <laughs> and and William Baldwin acting in this scene, he is just entranced he is shocked his mouth is hanging wide open (laughs) great love it (laughs) oh dear yeah um oh boy what happened oh then we have the um like you said we have the tasteful uh night scene between uh steven and helen and then the next morning, Stephen is, you know, trying to get with his son, make breakfast in bed, trying to, you know, be a family again. And Helen's like, "No, you take too many risks. It's not fair to Sean. Uh, you need to get out of here." Which I wrote down <laughs> on my notes, like, "Well, it's his kid too. Yeah. I think he has some say in the matter, but fine, whatever. He goes." Because that's what that's what Stephen would do. He's 
he he knows the the, the risks and I guess doesn't want to put him through what it, he went through growing up. Uh, and then really Brian, I think, kind of blows the uh, blows the roof off of the investigation and figures out the whole connection between everything and Alderman. Am I correct in that? Uh pr- pretty much uh, because like yeah not long after that we we get a real weird scene of like it's kind of portrayed that like uh alderman or or marty uh is like dead um oh right in a in a chair and then it's and then he just turned around and he's being real creepy and he's got these files in front of him and then but yes and and then like yeah we get the tip off uh, from Jennifer and and the, the the connections are made of like all the, the guys are like finance guys and all this kind of stuff and um, they're connected to to Alderman who has like uh, the task force that he has set up to kind of plug the holes in the firehouses he shut down um, have you know the task force is like an on paper only task force and and actually he's been uh, siphoning the, the money and and all this kind of stuff yep. it's incredibly convoluted and again <laughs> doesn't need to be there but yep. it is um and then yes brian goes to to pick ronald's brain um and um yeah again ronald doesn't really need to 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 be there but again this is a fun scene because donald sutherland is just doing his thing and being real creepy and real fun and we get more stuff of like the fire being presented as a monster where uh ronald says to brian did the fire look at you and and that this which is (laughs) and then and brian did it did it did um uh, that's really intense and funny and then uh yeah like you said before we started recording um he beat brian basically he's only there to kind of turn a light bulb in and on brian's head of like he kind of points out like oh it's got to be somebody who has access to these chemicals and somebody who hates fire and who would have access to those chemicals and who would hate fire it must be a fireman right whoa and there's only like five firemen in the entire city of chicago uh yeah it's, it's, it's and my struggle. brother is one of them <laughs> but he remembers the the canisters that he saw on the boat from the from our first uh well from our first scene on the boat with his brother so he goes there just to remind himself of uh, hey, that's right. I saw them here. And then he, uh, his brother stops, stops by and they have this kind of strange, weird altercation. No fists fly, but it definitely seems like, like uh, Steven's going to pull out a gun or a bat or something and beat his brother's brains in because it seems like he's behind all of these, all of these fires that have happened, all these murders that have happened to these financial, uh, financial people. Uh, we actually, uh, we actually failed to mention that uh, someone tried to take out Alderman as well in his house um, just before uh, Brian goes to goes to Ronald and Robert De Niro uh, kind of saves everyone. He gets stabbed in, by a fence or whatever. Um, but yeah, all of these big shots are are being targeted by someone. Yeah, uh, again, it's a kind shame of a we did fail to script. mention that because that's another sterling bit of acting from De Niro, where um, he's impaled <laughs> by a metal fence, and he's like, "Ah, I think I, I think I need a little help here." 
a line I've always remembered watching this as a kid, guys. That uh, I think I got a little problem, man. Yeah. Um, it's, oh. just, it's a badass line of like. It is a if it was line. me, I'd be like, ow, 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 ow. But here he's like, De Niro's underselling of this is beautiful. It's wonderful. It's great. Ah, dude, brilliant. But we're on the boat. Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. When we cut back to the boat, we're coming back to like the the scene on the boat. I have written in my notes here: Stephen acting creepy because the plot says so. Because right. it just seems so <laughs> contrived that he's just like, acting in a, such a weird way that we've never seen him act before. And it's just like, oh, you're just like really trying real hard to make him a red herring. Okay, I suppose we've got to do this now. Yeah. And part of me was thinking, that was this a rewrite that we just failed to edit this scene? Because it seems like we're, the way he's shifting, the way Kurt Russell is playing this, it seems like he is the guy who's been doing all of this and how he's how he's delivering it he's saying th- things like well how am i doing here well i'm just i'm along for the ride well, what are you doing here huh and just his body posture <laughs> i, yeah, I yeah. feel like at one point he was supposed to be in the script the the killer the fire the fire starter um turns out though it's not absolutely not <laughs> absolutely we can't we can't have kurt russell who is our big action hero of the 90s as the villain here um so we make this out to be uh axe uh, uh, scott glenn's character he's the one who's been doing all of this because all of these deals that have gone down have led to the deaths of several firemen uh, over the years and axe just wanted to put a stop to it um kind of in a Kind of in a shitty way, <laughs> blowing up buildings and stuff, but could have been a little bit more subtle, I think. But, you know. Yeah, I, I did want to point out as well, though, like when it is revealed that, like, it's kind of revealed to us as an audience that Axe is obviously the person who's behind the fires. We have, like, this weird series of scenes of, like, stare offs between Brian. And Axe, and then Stephen and Axe. Like, there's like three separate moments where it's just like we're just watching a stare off of just being like, well, I know he did it. He definitely did it. I, but I know that you know that said. I did it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and yeah, it's, I don't know if it's like an unspoken brotherhood that they were trying to portray here, but it's, yeah, it's all no dialogue. They're just, staring at each other and i think you you hear a little bit uh, because brian is figuring out that this guy was the guy who assaulted them in uh, alderman's house and was burned by the by the outlet so he has the little burn mark on his shoulder uh, so i think you like hear the flashback sound effect of him screaming uh, but yeah it's just all all back and forth as i'm thinking about this though how axe wants to take out these guys for killing firemen because he says it on on the roof there the big climactic scene of this movie the the uh, station 17 is called to this big chemical fire at this big warehouse and on the roof is station 17 and axe brian steven they're all there and axe is saying he was killing our our brothers for money if you're going to take out these people for killing your firefighter brothers why would you do it with with fire 
that could potentially kill more brothers. Why not just shoot them? Because the plot, maybe? Yes, because, because <laughs> the plot. It's a bit like, why go to all the effort of, like, it seems like he went to great deals of effort to set up Alderman as well. And then, but then he attacks him, which immediately takes him off the list of suspects. Right. I don't know. I'm not sure what Axie's plan was particularly. Uh, I, I, I'm not sure that the, the script knows either. Like, <laughs> nope. I mean, it, it goes off in so many directions and has so many massive holes in it. I don't know. Like, I, I mean... <laughs> it's, yeah, it's... He does it by fire because it's the movie called Backdraft. And yes. we, need, we need fire and explosions. That's why. Yeah, and I, I mean, like... I gotta be admit, like all these contrivances really entertain me. Like the fact that, like when they go before they go, you know, get to the rooftop, the the fire truck that uh, Brian is in, that is in the fire truck behind Bull and Axe, like it tips over, just like it crashes, <laughs> just so that Brian has to run to the the, the scene of the fire. Like yes. it, you know, like all these plot contrivances really amuse me. <laughs> It's an unnecessary stunt. I to I completely forgot about it. But yeah, you're right. They're driving to the to the burning building, and there's a little scuffle in in traffic. The fire truck it flips over, but everyone's okay, and everyone just runs to the building. For no, it doesn't need to be there. It was just a random thing. Um, I think, like. Yeah, I mean, I think part of what entertains me about the movie is just all the things that don't need to be there, but are yeah. for for whatever reason. It's there. It's there because it's entertainment. It doesn't make <laughs> sense, but it's there. Ah, oh, dear. Also, like I wrote down in my notes, basically they they have this conversation of uh, you know, like the the big reveal of like you know why Axe was doing this. And Bull is kind of grilling him about it. And I've just written down in my notes, questionable having this out on a fiery rooftop. <laughs> you think if he was a good lieutenant, Stephen, uh, you think if he was a good lieutenant, you would have you know, stopped him from going on this ride and saying, hey, wait here. We're going to have a talk when we get back. No, but it's just less dramatic if they, if they do know. it at the fire station than on, on top of a chemical plant that is on fire. That is all on fire, encompassing fire. Especially when, when as uh, Stephen is getting on top of the roof, there is uh, someone up there saying, hey, they want us off the roof. Let's go. So now it's the perfect time to be like, hey, let's have this really in-depth, life-changing discussion right here, right now. I mean, it sounds very, you know, action-y, Kurt Russell-y to me. Why not? Why not indeed? Yeah. No. But the 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 roof caves in, and uh, Brian is told to run to the side, but for dramatic purposes, runs to the opposite end of the roof to get to uh, the elevator chute, uh, where it's a terrible dummy that is being thrown down an elevator chute. Yes, he, uh, he's blown out of a window, um, or his yeah. dummy is blown out of a window, and then yeah, uh, yeah falls into the flooded elevator shaft. Yep, and then because of all of the, uh, because of all of the the flooding and all the uh, the water that's coming in from the fire trucks outside, the level of the water keeps rising, and he's being risen up to uh, what seems to be a, a gas line fire. 
but Steven comes in and saves him, jumps to turn off the the gas line, save, saving his brother. Again, I'm not sure of how the physics works with elevators, but I'm almost certain water could creep in between the cracks of the doors. But, you know, again, for plot purposes, we I continue. I don't think about physics when it comes to this no. movie. This, this movie has no regards to any sort of science. The scientists Whether don't know what chemicals are. or physics or, you know, chemistry, whatever. Yeah. It doesn't, it's, there's no... Uh, like uh, we can't we can't fuck about with that you know we'll be here all day <laughs> no but uh so the the brothers they're running through the the burning building and the the cinematography here the stunts the visual effects the use of fire i i love in this climax there's explosions and they're running through these explosions it's awesome i love this i love this scene uh axe comes in and takes out uh, Brian with the butt end of his of his axe and we think we're about to have an axe off between oh, axe and bull yeah like I yeah, I, I, I you know I kind of remembered you know there was a, a vague memory of kind of like a little bit of disappointment that we do not get a fire axe fight like, no because I mean that would just be the ultimate topper to this movie of being like and we get a fire axe fight and in it's the a, middle of a fire in a oh, chemical plant. Oh yeah. You know what? Maybe they do it in Backdraft too. <laughs> Maybe we need to check that out and see oh, if they God actually do. If they do that, I will watch Backdraft too. <laughs> I highly doubt it. Ah oh, yeah. Oh dear. Yeah. The weirdest but thing they, about Backdraft too, though, is usually these direct-to-video uh, sequels that are made decades after the the original has mm -hmm. none of the original cast members whereas backdraft 2 does have both william baldwin and donald sutherland who william william uh baldwin in in that trailer for backdraft 2 i thought it was alec baldwin i thought for sure it was um but reading the plot synopsis of that movie, it sounds like Brian, uh, uh, Brian, and uh, Ronald are barely in the thing. They're just there yeah. for name value only. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think they're they're in it for for mere minutes. Like, yeah, it's just brief cameos, and like the whole story centers around uh, the grown up uh, Sean. Um, uh, mm -hmm. Yeah. So. Yeah. But yeah, they so they lower their axes because they're about to lay into each other, but they put them down and it's it's a, an interesting kind of moment in an action movie where you don't have the final battle between the villain and our lead action star. We have kind of a, a tender moment here where Axe put his axe is put down. Uh, Steven puts his axe down and Axe says, I just couldn't let it go, Bull. And, you know, it was, I always enjoyed that of, of this movie, that it doesn't end in, you know, the, a big Stallone muscle versus muscle type fist fight or, or something like that. It's just kind of a, a nice human tender moment uh, that quickly gets interrupted, I guess, by the main villain of the movie, the fire, because the yeah. platform, the, the, uh, yeah, I guess the platform that they're standing on collapses and we get another, I'll, uh, if you go, we go moment where Steven is holding on to Axe. Uh, Axe is engulfed in flame uh, because all the flames down below. Brian is on the other side. He's trying to save himself. He's dangling there. Um, and he watches his brother, Steven. They have this, this staring moment 
where Steven knows, yep, I'm about to let go of the of the railing because I'm not letting go of this of this person. That's not our that's not our motto. So he lets go and they both fall. Axe falls to his death. Uh, Steven kind of impales himself, but lands on a secondary railing kind of closer to the fire, but he's still alive, not doing well. And Brian, in a very kind of origin superhero-like moment, climbs down, jumps down, and kind of starts saving his brother. The rest of the fire team is trying to come in, but there's explosions going off all around their, all their heads, and they lose the fire hose, and the fire hose is going crazy. And Brian is finally going to have that moment. He... Uh, he uh, drops all the way down to the ground. He grabs the fire hose, douses all the fire, uh, firemen, firemen. Oh, uh, wait, wait a second. In. Wait a second. Because like you mentioned that um, in the scene with Axe and Bull, that we do not get a climactic battle. But we do, we don't get Correct. it between human characters. But we do get a climactic battle because before Brian grabs the hose, he has a dramatic stare off That's with right. the fire. And it's an and it's an amazing shot. I'm actually angry that I completely forgot about it. But yeah, the fire is slowly coming in on the roof of this room that they're in. And it, the, the the sounding sound like it's roaring like a like a Tyrannosaurus Rex. It, it it's pretty f- goddamn epic i'm gonna be honest oh but yeah grabs- it, it is it is it is like um yeah like you say it's like roaring like a dragon and then just um brian stares it directly in the whatever the, it doesn't he have looks, eyes but like the, the imaginary fire. eyes that he can see in the fire of the dragon that's behind it obviously um yeah, they, they and they have a moment, and then he grabs that hose that's previously been out of control. He just leaps on it and takes it under, under control as if it's like a kind of out of control snake or something. And um, mm-hmm. yeah, so that's our climactic battle. And he takes out that fire. He douses that fire. He takes it out. It tries to come out fr- from behind him. It's coming down at his feet, and he's like, "No!" And he's yeah, this. If this was a superhero movie, this would be the moment where our hero embraces their powers and accepts the role of being the superhero because this is Brian's call again to become a firefighter uh, for the rest of his life. So, uh, yeah, it's a great scene. Uh, uh, Kurt Russell, uh, Stephen, he's being helped out. And as Brian has taken on the monster, he has this great line. He's like, look at him. That's my brother god damn it <laughs> I, I wrote that i wrote that quote down in my notes as well because I, I you know like another uh, another one of the best lines and, of it, the movie. and it's only amplified i love hans zimmer as a composer he's one of my favorites he's done all of my favorite uh comic book movie uh, comic book movies he's done a lot he's done lion king done a ton yeah, um, here, he's it's, done a lot of great Zimmer. work with Christopher Nolan, obviously, like not yep. just in the Batman movies, but like in, in Inception and stuff like that. So, like, yeah, oh, he, absolutely, he's done some great stuff. Interstellar, I think, is his masterpiece. Here, this is standard Zimmer: the swelling of the brass, the, just the climactic theme. It's great. It only amplifies the scene so much more. Um, but after he he uh, fights the the fire monster. 
Stephen is loaded up into an ambulance. <laughs> ambulance. I can never say that word correctly. Ambulance. Yeah. Okay. Uh, and then Brian is there with him, and you know that this is happening because it, it looks like it looks like his guts are pouring out of his side. That's how badly he was impaled. But they have that that moment of just hey, we know what's happening. But Stephen, to the end, Kurt Russell, he's saying the fire never got me. I never let it get me because that that's his main driving force of being a fireman. He's taking it on. He's not going to let it get to him like his father did uh, or he did many years in the past. However, it was that's his that's his thing. And then he unfortunately passes away. But not before he gets Brian to agree to perpetuate a cover up of three Mm. murders. Um. (laughs) Right. Because it'll make the fire department look bad. (laughs) Don't tell him about X. Don't tell him about anything. Really? Don will understand. Just don't tell him. Let's take down that politician together. Yeah, that's right. And apparently he does. Because our next uh, next scene is our, um, our, our two investigators interrupting a press conference of aldermen saying like, hey, you orchestrated everything. And they throw the their findings and investigation files on the table and the press grabs them. And Brian has that great comeback line where he throws his lines back in his face. And we see that glimmer in your eye. Yeah. It's your career going down the toilet or whatever it was. And uh, just before that, actually we get like a a parade uh, in. in Was that before? Yeah. Yeah. We get, get yeah. So the, like the movie ends in a weird way where it's kind of like, Oh, well these died. That's the end of the movie. Oh no, we get a parade for Bull for that's right. on, in his honor. Oh, that's the end of the movie. No, actually, uh, we get De Niro and um, William Baldwin uh, wrapping <laughs> up the political mystery that doesn't need to be that, there. That's that we the have end to, of the movie. Right? Oh no, wait, we got one more scene where, like like brian has to treat a, a like a, a proby just like he was treated as a proby to prove that he is now a real firefighter and that is the actual end of the movie That's god true. why is this movie like return of the king what the fuck is <laughs> That's right i i do wrote uh, wrote down here uh, with that parade and everything you know this is for axe and this is for bowl did this happen for the other firefighters who died? Did they get the Hans Zimmer swelling score and the funeral? Did they get the parade? I feel like this is just for the two people here in this movie. But they yeah, talked so much, much about all these firefighter deaths. I'm like, does that happen with every firefighter death? Or is it just these two because they're the main character? It is just these two. These, yeah, these are the, exactly. most, the two most important firefighters, apart from kurt russell's dad who is himself who is himself important firefighters in chicago history so yep as you said they drive off into the sunset called to another fire and brian has that kind of parental mentorship moment with the new probie of you're doing it wrong and fastens his coat properly and they drive off into the chicago sunset and we have an interesting factoid that comes on the screen that says there are over I guess at this time, there are over 1,200,700 active firefighters in the U.S. today. And then credits. 
And I remember yeah. reading that this time going, okay, yeah, cool. I, I <laughs> like, yeah, I, I can't, it, it is a weird stat. It's just kind of, because you, you kind of feel like, oh, you get that factoid and then you're like, you know, like, uh, then you feel like, oh, it might come up like, oh, like, you know, of which, you know, like, this is how many kind of de- firefighter deaths happen uh, per year. And, and then yeah. and then maybe like, and then maybe like mention how much they get paid and the, the like, you know, right. the, the unfairness of that or something. It feels like there's more statistics that should come after. And it's just like, no, no, the, no. It's just a flat kind of like, there's over 1.2 million firefighters in the US. Yeah, it's like, okay, there are also a lot of cops in the country. There are a lot of teachers that work. There are a lot of people on the planet. What are you, what are you trying to tell us here? Yeah, I thought there was going to be like, you know, here's how many are active. Here are many deaths that happen. We should support them or we should donate to them or yeah, 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 yeah. something, but nothing. Yeah, like you do feel like you know it's kind of it's going somewhere in terms of like maybe these are the deaths. This is how much they get paid. You know, like um, if you want to support your local firehouse, you know, like call yeah. this number. You know, like something. But it's Nothing. just like no, it's just this flat kind of like this is how many they are, and that cool. I guess <laughs> I now know okay. how many firefighters there were in the U.S. in 1991. Yeah, or yeah, or yeah. Tell us how, like, how many fires actually happened in in the year or whatever. Um, but no, nothing. And the credits roll, and we get another one of those very, very bad <laughs> 1990s, 80s songs again from whoever that guy Bruce was. Hornsby. We're getting more Bruce Hornsby. Bruce Hornsby, yeah. I just wanted to put him out of my mind. But yeah, he has another song here, and I, I feel really bad for Hans Zimmer to be associated with a soundtrack that has songs from this guy <laughs> and his band with Hans Bruce Hornsby <laughs> or as he's probably known poor man Kenny Loggins <laughs> god so bad oh dear yeah but, but that's, that, that's that is that's backdraft that is backdraft that is backdraft in the books that is our thoughts and opinions on it. Um, I hope you've enjoyed uh, listening. Um, if you want to give us any feedback, uh, please do. You can always hit us up on at 90s underscore all. If you want to hit us up on Twitter, if you want to give us a review, you can on Apple Podcasts, on uh, Spotify, you know, where wherever you listen to podcasts, you know, subscribe. And if you are giving us a review, Please give us uh, five stars on the review because the way these algorithms work for podcasts, if you give anything less than that, the algorithm thinks we are awful. And we're really not. (laughs) So five stars. Um, But it just leaves me to thank my special guest co-host, Caleb. Thank you very much. And um, do you want to do you want to tell people? where they can they can see you elsewhere uh, where they can hit you up on social media and stuff like that. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, just, you know, algorithms with this. I use the the YouTube algorithm. I have a YouTube channel called Caleb Watches Movies where I select from any of the movies that I own and I do a quick little about 10 minute review of each movie and it's all done at random. It's not done, you know, me picking them off the shelf. I have a random generator where I just randomly pick them. So at one point I'll be seeing a masterpiece like Shawshank Redemption. And then the next day I'll be watching a a very 
shitty independent horror film <laughs> a title that I would have no idea where, where it comes from. But, but uh, that's what I do. If you can head over there and hit subscribe, that definitely helps me out. We're working our way, or at least I'm working my way towards uh, 3,000 subscribers. We just passed 2,000 subscribers a couple months ago. Uh, got over well over 400 movie reviews on there for you to choose from. So odds are you probably find a review, my opinions of a movie that you probably like or have heard of before on there. So please head over there. Caleb watches movies. That's where you'd find me. Excellent. And we definitely recommend all of our listeners to do that and go and check out your videos. And we also recommend listener that you come back next week when we will be talking about Tombstone. But until then, See ya!